Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. This week I am talking with Benjamin and Cassie Wilson of the Americana duo Gold Pine. Formerly called my one and only, Gold Pine is cathartic, moody, raucous, and relevant, all wrapped into one package as they tour the U.S. playing for audiences large and small. We are discussing changing band names and how it affects you, starting over from an audience perspective and the process of booking shows as an indie artist. Please enjoy my conversation with Goldpine. Hey guys, I am hanging out with the duo Goldpine, Ben and Cassie Wilson. Thank you guys for so much for being on the show. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're You're doing welcome. good. Yeah. How you, are you? you said, I'm doing well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm yeah. not sure, but I think I'm good. <laughs> You guys have been uh, out performing quite a bit mm-hmm. recently, and as we're recording this in Nashville, there's the Americana Festival is taking place. Americana Fest is happening here in Nashville as we're as we're recording this right now. And uh, we were just talking before we started recording that you guys performed last night there as part of that festival. Is that correct? Yeah, we even though we live in Nashville, we performed as a part of a Texas artist uh event okay because we tour so much in texas uh i guess they just think we're from there it was an honor though it was an honor it was it was put on by a place that we play in grand prairie texas called firehouse gastro park and then a record label out of texas and um they called and asked us to be a part of it and i was like wow that's super cool i mean it's six artists all from texas and us (laughs) We're honorary Texans. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did they find out about you? Do you know? Like how did the Texas label find out about you guys to bring you down for that? Yeah, so the uh, person who put, one of the people who put the event on was the owner of the venue we played at in Texas a couple times okay. throughout the last couple of years. And he just really likes us and we like him too. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that helps. It's yeah, mutual. yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, it makes a difference when when the venue owner or the people who run the venue enjoy your music because they're the ones who determine if they're going to bring you back long term or yeah. you know if it's a one and done kind of deal. And you know, I think we've all probably been in that scenario where it's you've been there one time and you thought it went great, and then they never invite you back. And <laughs> no, <laughs> actually, that's never happened. That's never <laughs> happened ever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Man, just kidding, just kidding. Um, you know, and then there are those places that we get to go back to over and over, you know, that you build these long-term relationships with people and it's always fun to get to kind of build, um, you know, a, a different different venues that you can continually go back to and tour alongside and build an audience and a fan base with and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, now you guys live here in Nashville yep. and we were, Cassie and I were, you and I were talking um, before I've been here for 20 plus years, and you've been here right at 20 years as, t- as of this recording. Yep, 20 years. Um, and Ben, what about you? When did you show up here? I moved here in 2006. Okay, so not too far after that. Yeah, so I, I've been here a while. Okay, yeah. all of us have been around here for a little bit. Usually, yeah. a lot of times when I, when I meet people or people come <laughs> on, the, on the show that live here, they've only been here for just a very short amount of time, a few years maybe, you know, yeah. so it's not very often that I get to <laughs> talk with people that have been here for as long as I have almost, so, yeah. which is nice. Um, so tell us, you know, where you're from, how you guys met, and what got you on this journey to do music together as Goldpine? 
So I am from the state of Iowa. I was born and raised there. Yeah. <laughs> I got the friends audience. from Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, Cassie's from Alabama, northern Alabama. And I moved here to go to audio engineering school to okay. Nashville. Uh, Cassie moved here to sing country music. And we met in Antioch, uh, the suburb of Nashville, at a small startup church. And it was so small, it didn't have a building yet. It was so new. <laughs> met in the cafeteria. That's what we call a church plant. Yeah. Church plant. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I say church plant, and people, and people go, what, what the heck is that? Yeah. No, I know. So, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, the first duo that I played in was me and <laughs> Leroy Pirtle. Pirtle? Brother Leroy. Brother Leroy, who did the worship at the the small church plant, and Cassie attended. So that's where we met back in 06 okay. here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Nice. When you first met, like, did you both realize, like, okay, I want to do music. We want to do music together. Like, was it this natural thing, or you were both shaking your head no? No. Mm-hmm. When we first met, I just thought, ooh-wee, he is good looking. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just was, I thought he was so cute. But when we first started dating and got together, we both kind of did our own thing. Like I did country soul music and you were doing like audio engineering work and he went to school for that and was working in different studios around town. It honestly wasn't until like seven years ago that we officially became a duo. And people are like always blown away by that. They're like, wait a second, you guys have been together for 15 years, but you've only been a duo for seven. And, you know, sometimes it takes you a little time to realize, oh, we got a really good thing here. We should be doing this together. Right. And um, so we officially became a duo seven years ago as my one and only. So we had a different name back then. Okay. And it's um, only for about five months that we've, we've changed our name and we go by Gold Pine now. Okay. Let me ask you real quick before I forget, um, because I want to go back and talk about what you guys did separately as a solo artist and as an audio engineer. I want to get that for a minute, but um, I want to know first, because I, a lot of people do change their names. When, mm-hmm. when you're in a band, you go from one name, then you know for whatever reason, you end up changing it to something else. And a lot of people don't understand why that happens. Can you explain for you guys like why you went from my one and only to Gold Pine? What was the reasoning behind that, and how has that affected, you know, the, what you guys do as a as a duo? Yeah, so my one and only was around for six, seven years. It's funny when you come up with a band name. It's first of all a very hard thing to do, and you don't think about the implications of it <laughs> ten years down the road. Uh, and I don't know why, but I guess I didn't think of the idea that people would form in their minds when we were introduced on stage. Now, here's introducing my one and only. It kind of gave off this very sweet, kind of not as much depth, maybe just like all love songs kind of feel. And that wasn't something that we felt our music especially lately, um, is really, you know, a good representation of that. So we, I think we wanted something with a little bit more edge. Yeah. And Gold Pine, you know, we just made up our own word, basically. Uh, But it's fun to say, too. Yeah. Gold Pine. (laughs) Yeah. Gold Pine. Gold Pine. That's right. It is a good name. It is a good name. But it was a hard transition. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you that. Like, when... You've had one one band name for so many years, and people have come to know you as that. And then all of a sudden, you come out with a different name. And then, and I see this a lot. People say, you know, Gold Pine. You know, previously my one and only. Like you yeah. always had to put. Yeah. There's a there's a transition period where you get to put both names on yeah. the thing, and it's like, and it's sometimes it's like, well, why would you even change it if you got to have both? You got to have the name on there anyway. But I yeah. understand. So, how did that affect? things for you guys through that transitional time. I mean, it was hard because like you said, people are like, why did you do it? Yeah. Why, why, why would you change your name? Now they know. Now they know. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, so that's one thing we get asked all the time. And then it was just hard because you're completely starting over ground level. It's wow. like, 
Not completely. Kind of. It kind of is. In ways. From, from an audience perspective. Absolutely. Because they don't know who you who that is now. Yeah. They got to relearn who that is. All, and also, too, like, by no means, we are not super cool and we don't have a million followers on anything. But, like, on as far as you're, like, Spotify, iTunes, all that, you're starting at zero. Yeah. Zero followers, zero listens, nobody. And then they think you don't have any music. Because we, and there was a transition that we were waiting for our music to come out. And so people, we would meet people when we would play festivals or shows and they're like, you guys don't have any music online. And we're like, we do, but it's underneath our old name. And there's actually a lot of it. And so you're reverting them back to your old name. So there was a lot of that transition, like trying to get people to be like, oh, but, but this is us now and we have music. It's just a new name. So that was kind of like starting over. But all of the... Uh, things that we had to get over with the name change. I think it was all worth it. Sure. For the for the name change, like I like the new name. I feel like it's gives off uh, more of a vibe of what we do. And uh, I agree. yeah, yeah. So I think if you just make that decision to change names, you just go all in, and you know it's going to be a year long transfer process. Yeah. And, is is uh, that how long you it. felt you feel like it took for people to kind of get on board and, and make that transition from an audience perspective? Well, we'll know in about six months. <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> that's right, because yeah, it's, so it has a, it's still brand new for you guys. <laughs> so, yeah, like you said, I'm still putting Gold Pine, formerly my one and only, mm-hmm. on, on show posters and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I think about a year in, then I'll be able to take the my one and only off yeah. and just... Yeah. So can I ask you this, where um, when, when you play a show now, and you've, let's say you've, you've played a venue under my one and only for any length of time, and you've got a certain number of people that come to watch you guys, in the transition of becoming Gold Pine as a name now, and that's still being a new thing for, for audiences, has that affected the number of people that come to your shows at that particular venue that you've been to before. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I don't think it's affected that. Okay. You know, we have a, a fan base that know us personally. I yep. think no matter what name that we went with, they would come out to see us just because okay. they like us as people and maybe they like maybe they like our music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I feel like... You know, we started touring more in the last year, a lot more. Okay. And that just being out on the road that much, which we're probably on the road two thirds of the time, has really been one of the greatest things for building our business, our brand, building our fan base, just mm-hmm. being out there constantly. Your name is here and here and here. That's a, been a big deal. It's really hard to do that, uh, to build all that stuff in that way if. You're home half the time, and then you go out for a weekend, and mm-hmm. just, it's like putting all put, you got to put everything in. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll come back to the touring aspect of things here in a little bit, but I do want to back up and ask you just individually. Um, so Ben, you were doing audio engineering when you moved to Nashville, and Cassie, you were doing country music. So when I'll start with Cassie because ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> so. When you moved to town and were pursuing country music, um, how was that going for you? Like, how were you how were you going about making that happen? And, and what kind of success for you were you having as a solo artist before you guys became, but uh, a duo? <laughs> yeah. Well, I moved to Nashville when I was 19 years old, okay. all by myself, and so I was very green, um, fearless naive, gullible, still gullible. Um, and you know, my dad had just passed away. And so before he had passed away, I was coming back and forth, just kind of doing some demo working with a studio in Millersville. Yeah. And, um, so I was just going back and forth and kind of figuring things out. But I knew that I wanted to move here, and so after my daddy passed away, I was like, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna move." And so, I moved up here at 19 and just started not knowing what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, and so I just kind of started 
going to the bars downtown and singing. Uh, I, I wasn't old enough to get in, but I found a way. And so I would get it and just kind of sing a couple of songs that I knew with the band and just try to meet people and be around. And then I um, thought maybe I should try to do something like with modeling or acting or something, maybe that would help. So I got like an agent and I started doing like just small things, trying to network and meet people. And I did like a reality show and just had some stuff like that. And so I, it's not like I had any kind of huge success, honestly. I mean, I was just doing what I loved Mm -hmm. and having fun and ended up having like, I got like a manager and a producer and I I did have a record deal um, with a label called Montage, which was an extension of um, Sony when it, after it closed. But I ended up not taking the record deal. So it was like, my manager and producer, like we had worked all this way, we got there and we had, you know, we're working with them and all the contracts were going back and forth. And that was all mind blowing to me too. And, you know, I was meeting with different people and they were putting me with people to write with and they didn't want to write with me. They're just doing it because the label was telling them to. And so anyways, did all that. And then I just kind of felt like at the end that I shouldn't take the deal and so we ended up not taking the deal and like literally i don't know a month later the whole label went under and so everybody that was signed to the label was caught in the contract like little texas and uh, minnie murphy and anyways after that at that time i met ben and so um i decided to part ways with my producer and my manager and Ben started playing guitar for me, and he started producing my albums. Okay. Oh, that makes sense, because you're audio engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you this, because you said when you were traveling back and forth between here and Alabama, uh, in Millersville, Millersville, you were doing some demo work. Mm-hmm. So for being someone who's not from here, how did you con- get connected with a studio in Millersville to, to start doing demos? Like, how did... I know, that's crazy, isn't right? it? Like, how but, does that happen? But, but that's the kind of stuff that people listening to the podcast that are wanting to move to Nashville to become an artist. Okay, They're yeah. trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do when I get to town? How am I going to make a living and get my foot in the door? And th- these are the types of things that, yeah. that, that have to happen for certain people. So can you talk about that a bit? So... Again, I'm from Alabama, and uh, so where I lived, there was um, like kind of like a modeling agent. His um, name was Ken Shelton, and he was just so kind to, to me and kind of took me under his wing, and I was trying to do some of the modeling stuff. Knew, knew, I knew nothing of what I was doing. But when I decided I wanted to try to pursue music, he is the one that was connecting me with um, people that he knew here okay. and like some independent labels. And so I was traveling back and forth, you know, doing some demos. But then once I got here, um, I started doing demo work. And it's kind of like a hard circle to break into because yep. I feel like they have their people. But for people that are just getting started, I don't think this is still around. But um, back in the day, because I've been here 20 years. But back in the day, they had this thing called demosinger.com. Okay. And so I got on there and okay. uploaded my stuff. And so I got work from that. And okay. so I was able to do demos that way. There are things similar to that that exist. Probably now. Maybe yeah, not yeah. that side, but there are stuff that is similar to that. And I didn't, like, it, somebody told me NSAI about it because yeah. I didn't know about it. Because, you know, so I'm sure that people that are wanting to come here, like, how can I get work? And, you know, it's good money. Demo work is good money. Um, and also if you have a trade like Ben, um, we have a studio in our house and you know, nowadays kids and everybody know how to do pro tools and do all that stuff. But I still sing demos from my home for other songwriters around the world, but just in the comfort of my home, which is so awesome. So if people have that skill and it's, it's all connection, it's all relationship because I met somebody that played for somebody and they heard my voice and they do demos for somebody and so that's how it mm-hmm. happened. So it's just amazing to me how most things are relationship. Yep. And we talk about that almost every episode on this on this show for years now. Multiple mm-hmm. seasons. From the very beginning we've talked about how much relationships are key to this to this business. Um 
All right, so Ben, so let's go over to you. And you were doing, so you came from Iowa and you were doing an audio engineering. Um, did you come to Nashville from Iowa to go to school for audio engineering? Um, and where did you, if you did, like where did you go? What kind of got you in into doing those types of things? Yeah, I came to Nashville to go to audio engineering school. I went to SAE. Okay, SAE. Downtown Nashville. And let's see. While I was about to graduate the school, I think they hooked me up with a live sound gig at Tin Roof. Okay. On Demunbrian Street. Yeah. Not it's, Demon Bruin. Yeah. Demunbrian, Demunbrian. right? Yeah. <laughs> people, people at... The tourists. Yeah, all the tourists that drive in town, they see... Demon Bruin. Demon, Demon Bruin. Bruin. What is that? <laughs> right go on that street. Right on the heart of, of Nashville, right? And then at the top of Demon Bruin uh, <laughs> Street is Buddy Killen Circle, so... Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird place around there. Uh, yeah, so I was, I think, like one of the first sound guys to be hired at Tin Roof. Okay. They didn't have one before that or something. I don't know. Officially, I guess. And so I did a lot of live sound the weekends for the bands there. And then I started doing some live sound at some other places just through, through different connections. The other thing that happened in school is they hooked me up with a recording studio, Jay's Place Recording Studio on, on 17th, I believe. Okay. And all he did was demos. Okay. And so I was the audio engineer in the studio, just engineering demos maybe a couple times a week whenever he needed me, which was quite the uh, thing to see for someone who had, was new to Nashville. I mean, it was a cool process. To see all that come together. Yeah, because a lot of that kind of stuff doesn't happen so much nowadays because it's all done. You can do it from your home yeah. or whatever. So going into a studio down on Music Row or in that area um, doesn't happen as often as it used to for a lot of people. Uh -huh. So it's a different experience, what yes. you got to experience and what people that would that are listening that would move to Nashville at this point in time might experience for themselves. It does yeah. happen, but probably not to the extent not that Not as much, then. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so the key takeaway, I, I think, for your story, for people listening that are, you know, wanting to come to Nashville and be an audio engineer and, hey, I want to go out and I want to tour and run sound for different bands or I want to work in a studio and run sound and all that kind of stuff is go to engineering school, you know, because those, one, you're learning the craft, right? And then two, they are going to set you up with opportunities that you would not get yourself. Like there's no way that you would have gotten into into that studio, studio on 17th Avenue, you know, um, just coming out of audio school, you know, yeah. probably on your own. It would have been a lot more difficult, but since they've got relationships, again, relationships with, you know, with SAE, they can do things that you can't do just individually. Yeah, that is true. I wouldn't have gotten those without the schooling. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. There's so many different ways to look at it because... Really, audio engineering was a backup plan for me. I always wanted to do uh, performing and okay. be a singer and a songwriter and whatnot. And so I thought, well, you know, that's kind of risky. I, I, my backup will be audio engineering. And so that's why I went to that, uh, to, this, to the school. And I still was kind of playing music and and writing up and playing guitar at the time but when I right when I moved to Nashville I was so intimidated by all of the talent here that I didn't play guitar or or songwriter anything for like quite a while maybe a year and a half or so just like well, there's so many people doing it so much better than me and I focused on auto engineering um but now they go so well hand in hand, audio engineering and also being a, mus a musician. Because I, you know, running sound, knowing what you need for sound wise for sound checks has been just super valuable. Uh, knowing frequencies, uh, knowing how sound system work, sound systems work. Right. And even us with our studio at home recording our own records we've produced a decent amount of our own records and just having that those possibilities so really 
it was a backup plan, but they go so well together. And you mentioned um, people going to, you know, to audio engineering school. I think that is a path that people could take. When I look back on it, I do like that I got a, a lot of education in a short amount of time mm-hmm. about that specific topic. Yeah. And I wonder, and we talked about this, different people while we were at the school, like you could just, you could, if you wanted to, take a sum of money and ask a recording studio, say, hey, can I just, you know, shadow the whole studio if I pay you this amount of money, which would be much less than the tuition of the school, mm-hmm. and possibly gain a ton of that knowledge from the school and even more experiential knowledge. And so we kind of just toyed around with like, is it worth the whole tuition to to do this or not? And I think there's different paths for different people. Uh, but I say that to say, Maybe someone has an idea of coming to Nashville and maybe they feel like the schooling is not right. Schooling is not going to be uh, necessary for what you do. Yeah, it's not for everybody. The experience and getting in there and uh, the connections and the, yeah, just being hands-on is the most important part of Mm -hmm. everything. Because really my degree in audio engineering, no one has ever cared about that one time in my entire life no one's cared about it so uh what they do care about is do you know how to run an ssl console or can you run can you fix this sound system i mean that's the stuff that matters sure but for a lot of people that's going to be learning those things at at a school like that and that is a possibility which you don't you you may not get some people are going to know it anyway because they're just you know gear nerds and they want to learn that kind of stuff on their own and there are some people that they want to go and they want to learn it in in that environment as well. Yep. And we've talked about on the show multiple times that um, you know some people are super successful that went to school, whether it's you know music college or engineering school or whatever, um, have been super successful going that that route and have been um, you know made very good livings doing that. And then there are people that bypassed that direction and did it on their own learned it themselves and they've been just as successful doing yeah. the exact same type of thing um in in different different areas of, of the business you know so mm-hmm. um uh, you know it's six one way half dozen the other I yeah think, you know for a, a lot of people just depending on what it is that you're wanting to do so and it's the same with performers some performers are going to go to belmont exactly. for a performance or berkeley or whatever That's and right. learn songwriting but ton of people in Nashville didn't do any schooling. They just wrote a lot of songs until they got good at it. That's right. So there's yeah. so many different options. Yeah. And I think it's encouraging for people because some people don't... Some people listening, you know, that live far away and think, man, I just I want to go to Nashville or L.A. or New York or whatever and do music for a living, but I just... I can't... I don't know how to do it. I can't get there, I, you know, without going to school or something. Well, that's not true. You can do it. And so there's hope for... People on both sides. Yeah, for sure. Which is cool. Um, let me ask you guys this, because uh, I know I've, I read it at one point, and I'm just blanking at the moment, but are you guys signed or are you guys indie? Independent. You're independent artists. Yeah. Um, but you're out touring a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let's talk about booking and management and all that kind of, because I'm an independent artist as well. I've yeah. been doing, I've been everything that you could Everything that goes into being an artist, you know, you, you have to have a label, a publisher and a manager and a booking agent and techs and whatever, all this kind of stuff. I am that person. You've been them all. I'm, yeah. I am that person at all times yeah. because that, you know, because I'm indie. Um, and so for you guys being independent artists as well, uh, I'm interested to know how that works for you. Like, how are you specifically with booking when you're out mm-hmm. playing shows? Um, because people are always asking the question, like, how do I, how do I get into play at these venues? So, um, can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, that's a good topic because a large portion of my time is taken up with booking, uh, and yeah, tour, tour stuff. So. Which is my least favorite part of the whole process. I hear you booking. on that. Yeah. It's a nightmare. 
Yeah. <laughs> if you do it yourself. Yeah, it can be rough. Ben's really good at it. Well, then enlighten us because... Yeah, you, this is going to be good. I'm excited you asked that. I hope so. <clears throat> like, can you talk? To, can you talk through the process? Yeah. Of what of what you go through when you're when you're trying to book shows. Yeah. So uh, I think the first thing to start out with for us is a good booking email. Uh, the email that you send to all the venues. Like it has to have a great picture of you somewhere on the first half of the email. Probably it has to have a great. Uh, concise intro statement about exactly your intent of emailing them and the dates and the dates need to be in the you know that you want to play at the venue need to be in the subject line uh there's plenty of places on google to look up how to make the right booking email all your accolades you know winner of the whatever ever songwriting festival we've performed at this festival um the winner of this award like all your accolades and then a bunch of your links, obviously, below with probably some videos that you can literally see on the email that you can click on right there. I think that, that that's what our booking email looks like. So, so let me ask you this. Are you in just, you're, you're just embedding pictures and video into the body of the email yeah, that's what you're doing? Okay. As opposed to just a blue link. Right. It does just nobody, I never want to click on a blue link more than if I see a, the screenshot of the video. You know, and so I put the screenshot of the video on the actual email embedded. That's yeah. It. So starting with that's a big deal, uh, and you making revisions, you know, all the time when you're like, oh, I think this would be better here or whatnot. That's a big deal is, is the email, and then oh, <laughs> I'm trying to decide. <laughs> I'll say this with caution: is that persistence is a is the biggest deal in booking. <laughs> now, I, sure. again, I say that with caution, yeah. but I'll say it again. Persistence is the, the biggest deal in booking. And the thing is, is that everybody is so busy, especially booking uh, people for venues, that they're not gonna get to, back to your first email, and they're not gonna get back to your second email if they, if they don't know you. They're not gonna get back to your third email they might get back to your fourth email or your fourth follow-up. Persistence is the biggest deal in booking. So I follow up pretty much weekly. I'll send an initial email out okay. and then I follow up weekly probably four times. So every week I'm following up. Hey, just following up with this email. If I don't hear nothing, the next week, oh, hey, it's Ben, just checking in. Follow what do you think about these dates? And then the next week, hey, I know you're busy. Just checking in. What do you think about these dates? Mm -hmm. And that has honestly been one of the most important keys to success for booking for us. And every time people get back on like the fourth or fifth uh, follow-up, they never say, quit pestering me. You know, like it's too much. Every time they're like, dang, sorry I didn't see your email, man. It's just yep. been so busy. I've been so swamped. There's been yep. so much going on. I've been out of town. Thanks for being persistent. And honestly, a venue wants you to be persistent anyway. They want to know that you're going to be persistent about promoting the show that you book at their venue. Mm -hmm. So persistence is a big deal. Okay, let me ask you this. Because... Um, as someone who has to, who spends hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour booking, you know, working on booking as well. Um, when you're doing those follow-up emails weekly, so they haven't responded to you yet. And so when you do that first follow-up the next week, are you taking that original email? So, you know, it goes, once you send it, it goes into your sent file. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm getting real technical here yeah. because I'm going somewhere with this. So people, just hold on and follow me here. Um, do you go into that sent email that you've already sent out once, open that particular email up that shows you that it, you've sent that email to this venue, and then do you take that same email that's been sent and then re basically reply using that one so that when they see you putting, hey, the follow-up information down below is the original email in that in that thread. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or do you start a completely new email and say, hey, I just want to follow up, and then all the information from the original email is no longer there? 
No, it's always with the original email. Okay. So that if I followed up four times, the venue booker sees that all four follow-ups are in that original are in yeah. the email he's looking at right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, I'll say that there's tools out there on the internet to help you with follow-up. I'll just. I'll leave it at that. Okay. There's tools out there to help you with follow-up emails also. Mm-hmm. And they've been they've been valuable for us. But again, the persistence is has been a big deal of following up. People uh, are just busy, really busy. Mm-hmm. They're really busy. One of the things that I've always struggled with and that I find ends up being probably the biggest issue is that when you're using, especially if you're using like, Hotmail, Gmail, you know, Yahoo, whatever, any of those type of open format emails, whatever. If you're using those types of emails, when you're sending out, um, you know, booking information to venues and you start putting in links of any kind, that automatically almost all the time will throw your email into their junk folder. And they don't check their junk folders many times or they, it takes them days or weeks maybe to see something like that. So, and that's, that used to be a big struggle for me. So a lot of times I end up not putting links in the actual email. Um, I've kind of, I've kind of finagled my way around in the conversation that I'm putting into the body of the email to say, Hey, check this out without it being an actual link sometimes, because I know that it gets thrown into a junk folder and I'm trying to avoid that kind of stuff. So, um, I've kind of had to learn some different ways around that. So do you, do you see that when you're sending out these emails and you've got videos and you've got links and different things in it, do when they do finally respond to you, do they say, hey, I'm so sorry, this was in my junk folder, or my spam folder, or do you get that very often? Is that an issue for you guys? Or I would say only every once in a while okay. I get the response that it was in a spam folder. Okay. Uh, I feel like I haven't had that issue really. That's good. Uh, or maybe I just don't know it because it's still in their spam folder. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But no, sense. I've had great success in the way that, that we've been doing it and including links on the email. Yeah. That's good. Uh, you know, the, the sending out the emails and being persistent is a big deal, but also being super organized. Like I have an Excel sheet with that's uh, by state and then shows the cities of all the venues that I potentially want to email. Um, I have the date I have emailed them in there. And then I have notes about the venue. Like, is this a, a venue I really want to play or is it like a last resort? Then I have the email contact. And every time I email some, every time I email somebody, I go into the Excel sheet and update it. Okay, I've emailed this venue. I need yep. to put this date in there. Yep. And then I turn it green if they've replied, or I or I leave it if they haven't replied. And if they've ever replied in the past, then every future contact with them is from that reply, so that they know. Oh, I've talked to this person before. Right. So staying super organized is a big deal. And then not only in that way, but also in your tour routing. So I have a, a map that I look at and I'm figuring out, okay, from Pensacola to uh, Nebraska, what am I going through? And I have two weeks to get from Pensacola to, to Nebraska. What states could I possibly be in? Uh, and what venues do I really want to play in those states? And maybe I'll email those venues first as a first uh, thing priority, and then if they don't get back or if they don't have the date available, then I'll go to my next venues. Yeah, and so yeah, that whole organization thing is huge. And when you email the venue, knowing the exact dates, putting all of the available dates, but yeah. knowing the dates that you can and can't do it, uh, because if if you have to do all as much work for the booking agent as you can do. Uh, if you leave it open-ended, hey, got any January dates for me? Like they're not even gonna deal with it probably because why does the booking agent now want to take his time to say, well, what dates do we have available in January? And look at 30 days when you can do your job and say, oh, I can only do January one, two, five, six, eight, 
If you say exactly what you need, then you can get a more specific answer for, and not waste the booking agent's time. Sure. Um, when you guys are booking a tour, uh, how, knowing that it takes four or five weeks maybe for someone to actually respond to you, how far out are you booking a tour, knowing that you got to take all, you've got all this time, these dates you got to fill in, and you know in the back of your head it's going to take most of these venues at least four or five weeks to even get back to me to start putting this together and solidify it. Yeah, so now I'm booking, I started booking more in advance now, and so I'm about trying to do six months out. Uh, I really should be doing more. I should probably be doing eight to nine months out, especially for house concerts because they book up. You guys do a lot of house concert, concert stuff. series. Yeah. yeah. So those book out about eight to nine months in mm -hmm. advance. Uh, but then you have other venues that might book out two months in advance. So m a lot of the bigger stuff will book out six to okay. eight months in advance, okay. I would think, for at least for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's probably my time frame. That's cool. Let me ask you real quick. Um, Cassie's sitting over so quietly, being patient, twiddling <laughs> oh, her thumbs. <laughs> no, because I honestly, like, I am so glad that he's able to share this because he has gone through countless hours mm. and and meticulously like researching and diligently calling and you know calling the venue, getting the email person, asking if the booking person is there. Like like he's done everything and yeah. so like for somebody that is just starting that's like i don't know what to do like we wish we had known this yeah. i think one of the most powerful things that ben teaches and shares with so many other artists um is the persistence of following up and we learned like i well i learned i learned that Fest. from another actual booking agent yep. i said actual booking agent. yeah <laughs> uh where she was like I was talking to her and she said she follows up seven times once a week and I thought when she said that I thought my what like that is like pestering but the truth is is that people are just that busy to where they need to have another or another or another email to say oh Goldpine's emailing me oh I kind of remember that from the last one I didn't open let me open it this time and see what oh okay and I'll email them back mm -hmm. uh, we've been playing a lot of venues that people we look up to have been playing and we've been uh, fortunate enough to be able to do that and I'll say that you can get a booking agent and I would like to have one just for the sake of time right. Uh, but sometimes persistence or diligence can almost take the place of that relationship that booking agent has with the venue booker. Yeah. And I, I'll go back to I say that with caution because I don't want to encourage people to be pestering. Right. Uh, I think if you follow up more than uh, in less than seven days, it's probably t too soon. Yeah, def definitely don't ever do it more than once a week. Yeah, yeah, if it feels too much. Yeah, yeah, and they'll, they'll basically blackball you if you do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you want to do it in the right way, you know, <laughs> in the things that you say, be very, in the follow-ups, I think you have to be very concise and very respectful. Um, but yeah, I found that process to work pretty well. That's good. Uh, real quick, I want to ask one last question on the booking thing, just because you mentioned doing house concerts. And um, the house concert circuit is hard to get into. I mean, it's very lucrative. If you can do it and uh, you can get into a bunch of, into a bunch of you know, quote-unquote venues of houses to play, um, you know, people can make really good money doing that. But it's hard to get into that, you know. Um, and there are a few different, like, organizations organizations or associations or whatever that kind of like focus on that so are you guys a part of did you get into one of those organizations that that book for house concerts or do you like what's the process for you to, to book house concerts so we are a part of concerts in your home yes from the listening room network we have played a medium amount of house concerts through them and that's a good resource 
And usually they, they book up eight months to a year in advance, those house concerts. But I would say most of the house concerts are just from being out on the road. Someone has come to a show. Organically. Mm-hmm. They do a house concert. They know a friend who does a house concert. And it just happened like that. And yeah. I mean, I, it does happen. And it really does happen like that. Like last night we played, yesterday we played at Americana Fest. We only, like, you know, there were six people on the bill. We sang three songs. I was taught in between one of the songs, I was talking about how we were um, a Kerrville new folk finalist in their songwriting competition in Texas. And we sang one of, one of those songs. Afterwards, uh, this lady came up to us and she hosts a house concert series and she us- and, and usually does it in conjunction a lot with the new folk finalists but during our year we didn't tour with them because of course it was during covid and so by us just being there talking about that she heard us she booked us okay. so we're you know and it's crazy like yeah. and that happens all the time like That's we good. just played um in kerrville or we just went to the to the new folk kerrville new folk <clears throat> festival for the first time just went there and um, some people just heard us at the songwriting picking things at the end of the night, and we just did one of their house concerts last month in Florida. And I think that it just, for us, it just happens organically by being out there touring, people hear you, and then they wanna bring you into their home. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I, love the, I love the house circuit, the house concert mm-hmm. circuit, and um, I've done a few of them. I've always wanted to do more. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like it, I enjoy it, because what I do, um, I do a lot of acoustic shows, you know, I take a band when I can for larger venue things, but you know, a lot of stuff I do is just acoustic. So I'm always interested in playing that circuit, but it's just been really difficult, difficult to get into it. But, um, so that's cool. Uh, it's cool information that you're able to share with that. So let me ask you this. I was listening to some of your music. It's very good, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and e- even on your, even on your bio, and I got your bio here, so I'm just gonna, you know, it says offering their own brand of raw Americana to audiences large and small. And when I was listening to listening to the music on your website, I was like, man, this is raw. Like it really is. It's very, very organic and minimal. I'll say this, and don't hate me if I if it's if it's wrong compared to what you think it is, but I'll say it's like very minimalist. Mm. Um, in the approach to to the way that you produce it. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been attracted to the minimum. Like, I love great sounds, and I don't want to add anything usually that just doesn't feel like it needs it. Yeah, and Americana music, for the most part, is pretty minimal anyway. You know, it's like, it's, yeah. you got acoustic instruments, and what you see is what you get, or what you hear is what you get. You know, like, that's kind, yeah. of, kind of it. There's not a lot of extra bells and whistles thrown in that you're not going to have you're going to have it on an album but you're not going to have it live mm-hmm. you know there's not a lot of that kind of stuff in americana music anyway um and the you know the minimalist approach also goes along with because we when people listen to our music on spotify or whatever we don't want it to be that much of a departure from what we do live yeah now, when we do play live, I play a suitcase kick drum, she plays harmonica, I play acoustic guitar, we sing harmonies. On the record, all of those things are there, and there's a few extra things added. Like there might be a drum kit added halfway through one song, or like an electric guitar part on several songs, just adding some things. But I don't want to add like all these band members on the record, and then you see us live and it's totally different sound yeah. that was a reason for that yeah yeah, yeah. um no, i even noticed it to the point that and this is a compliment because <laughs> people <laughs> people could take this the wrong way um as a producer because i produce as well so um as a producer like well let me ask you this when you're tracking are you tracking full band or are you doing like individual like you're you're like building it as you go as a producer yeah, individual. Okay, so you're not you don't have a full band in a room Mm-mm. playing everything. It's all one one. Part he does of the time. it all. Yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the same way because I write music for TV and yeah. film type stuff. So whenever I'm doing that, for the majority of it, I'm I'm building all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I get that. 
Now, when it comes to TV and film projects, they want everything to be like up on the grid. Everything's sure, lined yeah. up perfect. So they can shorten it if they need to or whatever, sure. right? Yeah, you know, but they want to be real, real clean and precise and that kind of stuff. Uh, for a lot of it, there are starting. There are some of them that are starting to get more organic in the way that certain things sound. But I, I'm saying all that to say that you're as organic as a producer as you, what you guys are doing, to the point that like some of the instruments aren't even lining up mm. necessarily all all the way. It's like I could nudge that over just yeah, a yeah, little exactly. bit and, and make them <laughs> make that guitar note hit with the kick drum yeah. or the snare drum, and you don't necessarily do that. Yeah. You know? So, um, which is cool. I mean, I, I enjoy that. And a lot of people really like that aspect of Americana mm-hmm. music because it's, that's that rawness. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. Um, what is your approach when you guys are, how do you guys approach writing and producing as a duo? Because people listening, you know, there are art, there are solo artists, there are full bands. You know, there are trios and there are duos. That's kind of, you know, your, your options, I guess. So, but as approaching music as, as a duo, especially for only the past few years, um, kind of what is, what is your take on making that? And what, how do you come to those final decisions to say, okay, we're going to do this here and this here, as opposed to, you know, getting into a knockdown drag out fight over, <laughs> <laughs> over the way that this is, we're going to end it here. Or we're going to use this phrase on this chorus or those types of things. Yeah. I mean, we do everything together. So we write all of our songs together. We do everything together as far as writing, you know, especially because we were separate artists as I was country soul and he was like alternative folk rock. When we first came together to to kind of meld them together, yeah, that was like a hump that we had to get over because okay. uh, we were so stylistically different. But it was really cool too because all those years we were together, we had never written together. Like I always wrote with people, and he wrote with himself. <laughs> yeah. So when we started writing together, it was really cool because we're so different that we can be talking about the same thing but say it completely different ways and i think there's so much power in that Mm -hmm. with songwriting because i would never say anything the way he would say it and he would never say anything the way i would say it and so that's why i don't know i just felt like there was kind of a power there because we were so different that what we were doing uh just became different in general because we were so different um, as far as like in the studio and stuff, Ben does all the instrumentation and um, I'm not as much into that part as you are. Like he, we, we sit down and we like talk about things where we'd want things and we kind of do pre-production before we go in, but he does all the instrumentation and everything and I have an input here and there, but I'm pretty easy as far as the production. Yeah, that's cool. Um, let me ask you this. what? This is all you guys do, right? You're doing music full time, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So you're, I mean, you're only, you're out touring. I mean, this is your sole income. It's just touring, or are there other things that you guys are still doing in other parts of of music that allow you to have some extra income, or how does that work for you? Because we're touring, we aren't able to do like the other parts of the music industry that we make money in. Like Cassie was doing demo singing. Mm-hmm. And you, you still know? do that, right? You still do that sometimes? Well, every time I get called, we're I'm gone so yeah. oh, okay. So. And then but I was at least getting called for it. <laughs> not as much well. anymore, but yeah, <laughs> because yeah, you're yeah. not available. Yeah. yeah. And then I was doing audio or like producing other people's records and I'm just not home to do that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, the only other thing that we do is we have a some rental like an Airbnb. Okay. That we, yeah. Just the side yeah. side mm-hmm. thing. It's just extra income. Yeah. But That's otherwise cool. touring. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a hard thing to do to be able to, uh, you know, to do music full time. You know, I do seven or eight different things that allow me to do music full time. So, you know, for you guys to be able to just really kind of focus on one or two things of touring and, and making albums, you know, is a great place to be. And especially as indie artists. Because that's so many people listening to the show, um, they're like, this is what I want to do. I want to go out and I want to tour and I want to make music and I want to be an artist, and, um, but I don't know how to pay the bills. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I can't pay the bills just by doing that. I got to do some <laughs> other stuff because 
they haven't worked their way up to what you've put the work into just on the booking side of things. That alone is endless hours worth of work that you've done and building spreadsheets and Excel, Excel sheets and all this different stuff um, and getting, getting a rhythm down on how to do it, you know, and so that's a great, I'm glad you gave all the information because that's going to help a lot of people. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And oh, I was going to mention something. Oh, yeah. You know, you mentioned people just getting into it, uh, being able to pay their bills and still do music. You know, we out of, out of audio engineering school, I worked at a, a coffee shop in Nashville or while I was there. And I still worked at it while I was doing some sound at Tin Roof and, and other places and doing the studio work. And I would say the best way that I can describe the transition from like an hourly job to music is like a slow migration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I was working at the coffee shop a lot, then a little bit less because a little bit more work would come in. Yep. Then a little bit less because a little more music work would come in. And then I'm working a couple hours, you know, a week at the coffee shop because I had a lot of music work. Yeah. And a migration of probably several years. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, not only in emailing venues is persistence important, but in your music career because people want to come and if they don't see results in like six months or a year, then maybe they are giving up. Yeah. And I think that people should give it at least five years, maybe seven years, maybe 10 years. Mm -hmm to really decide, to have, to have enough information to decide if they should give up music or not. Yeah, and well, they say coming to Nashville, you, it takes five years for anything to happen. Yeah. For, the, for most people, that's like the, the average, you know, you need five years to get, to make any, any movement to really, you know, at all. So, uh, so that's definitely right on board with all that stuff, so. Mm -hmm. um, well, this has been really, really good. I appreciate you guys coming and sharing all this. Um, as we wrap up, what's some, what's some advice that you would give to people that want to do, either they want to or, or they're actively doing this, or you know, they're, they're working at it, but you know, you guys are further down the road. Um, how, many, how many tour dates do you guys typically do a year? Let me ask you that real quick. Like mm. an average? Uh, <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't come up with that number yet. It's, the thing is, is this year looks so much different than our past. Um, so another thing that we didn't say or talk about is, you know, we live in Nashville, um, but we played downtown Broadway um, for 10 yeah. years. And that is still uh, being a full-time musician, you know? And so, you know, I just wanted to say, I wanted to say this earlier, like you, people can come in and you get sucked into playing Broadway. You know, they're, mm -hmm. the, they're the four hour gigs. You're basically playing for tips and a little bit of money. And but you're playing all cover, cover tunes. Cover tunes. But yeah. here's the thing that I want to tell people. If you come to Nashville and do that, we did it for 10 years. I still some, sometimes play down there. Don't get sucked in because the money is good. Don't get sucked into losing vision of where you want to go. Yeah. I want to encourage people and say this. What we did, every time you're playing down there, it's like you're on tour. So we had a, an, because these are all tourists from all over. So we would we would sing probably five to ten originals throughout the, the um, four hour set. We would say that we're touring musicians, and we would have an email mailing list, and we would get people to sign up and follow us on our socials. And then when we go on the road, that's who comes to our shows. The people that saw us here in Nashville singing for like nothing. Or at least that's the base crowd. That's a base and then crowd. it builds from there. Yeah. And the base crowd is a big deal. But that's and, how it starts, you know? And have you, have you found that a good number of those people that saw you on Broadway in Nashville would come to those shows? 100%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like... And pretty much every single show. Okay. Well, that's like, encouraging. It is encouraging, but I, don't get sucked in. Yeah. I've always, that's, I appreciate you saying that. I, that's encouraging to hear that because I've always looked and don't hate me. Please. No. Uh, but I've always looked at, at Broadway and Nashville as like the, the place where dreams go to die. 
<laughs> you know, be, because you said because you get sucked in and you're playing four or five hour sets mm-hmm. for four tips for not a whole lot for the amount of for the amount of hours that you're putting into it. Yeah, it's not a lot of money. But because, if you use that to your advantage, but, but you're you're showing yes, and you're showing an advantage to to get from that is mm-hmm. of using those using an email list or whatever from those uh, from those people that are seeing you down there to build that into an audience when you're out on the road. And yeah. that, I think that's the key because you're, because you're doing this, you're not just playing Broadway to play Broadway and that becomes your job, mm-hmm. you know, and playing covers and there's nothing wrong with it. We've all done it. I, you know, I've done it and, um, I get it, but you know, a lot of people end up on Broadway in Nashville and that's as far as they ever go. Yeah. And then they say, I can't ever get beyond that. And then they give up and they go home and that, that's the end of their dream. Right. Um, so you guys have found a way around that to be able to kind of get the best of both worlds yeah. to enjoy playing down there and the benefits that it has and then taking that, um, and making an advantage to use that when you're on the road and building an audience and a fan base on the road. That's great. Yeah. And you would not believe like, it's crazy. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story after story of, the organic meeting of someone like i don't know there like at least probably six or seven people heard us play in there they were dating got engaged kept our card and we've sang at their weddings nice and that's not we've never been wedding singing but i'm just saying like and then people hire us to sing at a festival because they heard us or people hire us for a house concert like we were playing not even long ago we were playing on margaritaville downtown maybe a year ago a a film director from texas happened to be in the audience um we were talking about jesus because we love jesus and we were just singing a song one of our songs afterwards she came up and she started talking to us and she was like i'm in town and she's like i could tell y'all are believers and we're like yeah we are and she's like i'm in town i'm directing a, uh, a documentary called hope lives in Hohenwall and it's about addiction in this town in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Anyways, fast forward that connection that we made, we wrote a song about addiction cause my brother's a past addict. Um, I reached out to her after meeting her and I was like, I just feel like you should hear this song. We were in the documentary. Our song was in the documentary because I was playing on Broadway at Margaritaville. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's just like these, these organic things again, you will get sucked into the money. Yes, you will make two, three, four hundred dollars a night. Don't get sucked in. Use it for your advantage. Yeah. Don't you think that's a good way to say it? Yeah, that would be a different mindset than most of the people that are playing exactly. on Broadway. Yes. And, that's, and, that's, and that's why I said that's why I said that's where dreams go to die because sure. people get kind of tunnel vision and that's yeah. all they end up doing. Yeah, you know, and they don't they don't do the extra thing that you guys are talking about. So. I yeah. really, I've never, and I've never talked about this on the show, so this is fantastic. It is powerful if you think about it. I mean, literally, it's yeah. like you're touring, but you're sitting on a stool. Yeah, like and it's the, amazing. Uh, the other thing that playing on Broadway did was really kept our chops up. Yep. I mean, we were singing so much that we were learning how to sing together, banter just in a deeper way, banter, trying out new songs on audience. I mean, it was there was a lot of value. Learning in it, how to control a crowd, to read a crowd, because people are crazy. They're drunk. They're this. They're that. But learning how to always have like it. It, it was it, there was a lot of good. I, again, I did it too long. I did it too long, but. Uh, the thing is, there was so much good that came from it if you use it to your advantage. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that very much. So, um, well, that's the great advice. Um, just now, as far as like people that just want to do what you guys do, um, not Broadway, but going out and touring and becoming artists and songwriters and producers, uh, what's some advice that you guys would, would share with, with people that want to do what you guys are doing very successfully? You got real quiet all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one piece of advice we can give. Let's see. You got one? Um, I, I guess I want to encourage people this way. Don't be discouraged by one person's opinion of you. Don't let one person's no, which is two letters, control you. It's just two letters. 
you're going to get so many no's. You're going to hear like you're, and another thing, don't compare yourself to other people. So many people in this industry are like, like even like you, like you didn't want to play guitar for a year because you were like, mm. everybody's so good. Right. For well, good reason though. Oh, <laughs> no, no. but do you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. I mean, the thing is we are, we all have our own gifts and it's apples and oranges, you know, and we can, we can look up to people or, um, admire people, but we shouldn't be like, Oh man, I really wish I'm not going to make it. Cause I don't sing like her. You know, God gave us the voice that we have and we are the way we are because we're us. And so I just would like to encourage people to, um, dig in and find your own voice. Don't try to compare yourself to others. Don't try to be somebody else. That's a thing I wish I could have told myself when I was younger. I moved to town when I was 19. I was trying to be like Martina McBride. I just was like, I just want to be like her. You know, like I need to sing only high songs. And it took me forever to find my own voice. And then I was like, man, I like my own voice, you know? So just know that you're designed and your voice and, and, and it's your path and it's your dream. And even though doors will close, there's going to be doors that open. And if a door closes, there's probably a reason it's closing, like because you're supposed to go through another one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's great. Well, yeah. that's fantastic. I mean, Ben, unless you can top that, <laughs> I said we stopped there. <laughs> I don't think I can top it. He's like, persistently keep emailing them. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Six times. Yeah. Well, that, hey, that is amazing advice too already. So you guys have been, been doing a a lot through, um, through all this. So thank you so much. Um, where can people find your music where they can, they find you on, online, on social media? Like what are all the places that need to look you up? Our website is goldpinemusic.com and all of our socials are at goldpinemusic. So we're on all of them, Instagram, Facebook, you, you know, YouTube, same yeah. thing. So. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you guys very much. It's been so good to meet you in person and spend some time with you and get to know you guys. And um, So definitely want to encourage people to go check, check you out and check out your music. And um, thank you for coming on and, and sharing wonderful advice today. Appreciate it. Thanks for Thanks having for us. Yeah. Enjoyed yeah. it. Yes. All right, have a great fun. day. Thank you. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today. I hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.